far more than the charge of lying to federal agents. But in spite of what he might think, his trial doesn't hold a candle to the travesty of putting the Son of God on trial. And this morning we come to that trial. And we actually see the Son of God standing before three courts of men. One religious and two secular. Let's see how he represented himself and what the authorities put him through. Let's see how they judged him. Let's also do some serious thinking about how we judge him. Because Christ is indeed still on trial today. But we're going to begin with a look at Christ before the Sanhedrin. We're studying in Luke chapter 22. And the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. And they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. And when it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you're the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. And they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Now, no one account of the trials of Jesus is complete. But if we combine the four gospel accounts, I think we get a pretty good picture of what happened that night. John tells us that after the arrest, Jesus was taken to the home of Annas, the retired high priest, and father-in-law of Caiaphas, the officially recognized high priest. There he was questioned about his disciples and his teaching. But he responded that he had taught openly, and they could therefore ask anyone who had heard him. An officer struck him, and the abuse began. He was then taken to Caiaphas and a larger group of priests and scribes and elders. False witnesses were brought in to incriminate him, but they couldn't get their stories together. Finally, two of them agreed that he had said something about destroying the temple and rebuilding it in three days. The high priest then tried to get Jesus to incriminate himself by responding to the trumped-up charges, but he said nothing. So the priest adjured Jesus to tell them straight out whether he was the Christ, the Son of God, or not. Jesus said that he was, and that they would one day see him coming on the clouds of heaven and sitting at the right hand of power. 
At that point, the high priest tore his robes and declared they needed no other witnesses. Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. And he deserved to die. Well, Luke picks up the account there. And he tells of them mocking and beating Jesus, how they blindfolded him and hit him and told him to use his prophetic powers to tell them who did it. So Jesus was unofficially tried and condemned by both Annas and Caiaphas during the night. But to make it official, the entire Sanhedrin would have to pass judgment, and they couldn't legally meet until morning. So at daybreak, the council of 70 priests, rabbis, scribes, elders, Pharisees, and Sadducees convened. And they asked Jesus the same questions again, but this time for the record. They began by once again trying to get Jesus to publicly declare himself to be the Messiah. If you are the Christ, the same word Messiah and Christ there, tell us. Now, Jesus knew what they were after. Rome knew of Jewish hopes for a Messiah, someone to lead them in rebellion. And if Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, they could hand him over to Rome as an insurrectionist. Jesus responded to their question, but he did so in a way that wouldn't incriminate himself in the eyes of Rome. He said, if I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you a question, you'll not answer. They wouldn't believe him if he said he was the Messiah, and he knew they would not clarify what they meant by the Christ and what their messianic expectations were. So he simply repeated what he'd said earlier. The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now, this wasn't what they were looking for. Sitting at the right hand of God pictured a spiritual kingdom, not a physical one. It was obvious that Jesus wasn't going to give them an answer that would implicate him politically. So they asked another are you the Son of God, then? You know, claiming to be the Son of God would not be a chargeable offense in a civil court. But it would be enough for them to charge him. And to that question, he answered yes. Now, actually, he said, you say that I am. And that has led some to suggest that Jesus didn't really say he was the Son of God. But they understood his answer to be in the affirmative. And Mark recorded his response to the same question in the unofficial trial to be a straightforward, I am. A very clear declaration of himself being God. Well, they couldn't get what they wanted. What he said wouldn't be enough to convict him before Rome, but it was enough for them to convict him of blasphemy. And according to Jewish law, blasphemy was punishable by death. There was no need for further testimony. They had heard it from his own mouth. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And now they could officially condemn him. They had one problem, however. Rome had taken away their authority to execute anyone. They would also have to get him convicted in a Roman court. So the next stop was before Pilate, the Roman procurator of Judea. Picking up in chapter 23. 
Then the whole body of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered hidden and said, It is as you say. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the multitudes, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at that time. Now, Luke notes that the whole body of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And if all 70 of them went to Pilate, they no doubt constituted the multitude that then clamored for Jesus' death. You know, it's often been said that the crowds that cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on Palm Sunday, cried, crucify him less than a week later. And I'm pretty sure I've said that. I've repeated it. But on further reflection, it's doubtful that people off the street were there. They didn't even know what was going on. Everything happened incredibly fast. Jesus was arrested in the middle of the night, and by 9 a.m. he was on the cross. Anyway, when the Sanhedrin got to Pilate, they tried to make Jesus look like a threat to Rome. There's no mention of the charge of blasphemy, the charge with which they had sentenced him to death. They knew Rome could care less about religious matters. Instead, they accused him of three things. Misleading the nation, forbidding the paying of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he was the Messiah. A king. Now, all three had political implications, and all three were blatantly false. Now, Luke abbreviates the dialogue between Christ and Pilate, but the others kind of fill it in for us. When the priests accused Jesus of being a king, Pilate asked him pointedly if he was the king of the Jews. He responded by asking Pilate if he was saying that because he thought it to be true or because others had told him so. He then went on to make it clear that his kingdom was not of this world. When Pilate pressed him further, Jesus indicated that, yes, he had indeed been born a king, but that he was no threat to Rome. They then had a brief discussion about the nature of truth, and it became obvious that Jesus had no intention of responding to the false charges brought against him. Pilate therefore gave his judgment. The most accurate judgment ever made of Jesus. I find no guilt in this man. That should have been the end of it. The Roman governor had declared Jesus to be innocent. The Sanhedrin, however, wouldn't allow Pilate to acquit Jesus. They were after blood and wouldn't stop. They didn't want justice. They wanted to be rid of him. 
So they kept clamoring for a guilty verdict and added another charge. He stirs up the people all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. Hmm. Did they say Galilee? Was Jesus from Galilee? That was unexpected good news for Pilate. If Jesus was a Galilean, Pilate had a way out of his dilemma. Or so he thought. Herod was the official representative of Rome in Galilee. He was the Tetrarch. And he was in Jerusalem for the Passover. So Pilate passed the buck and had Jesus taken before Herod. Verses 8 through 12. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus. For he had wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod, with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been at enmity with each other. Now Luke is the only one to tell us about Jesus being brought before Herod. And he tells us that Herod was very glad to see Jesus, that he had wanted to see him for a long time. You know, when he first heard about Jesus, he was afraid that he might be John the Baptist, whom he had beheaded, come back to life. He wanted to see him, to find out. And he apparently wanted to kill him just to make sure. Jesus also knew about Herod. When the Pharisees came to warn Jesus that Herod wanted to kill him, he said, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. So while they hadn't met, they did know about each other. Herod knew that Jesus could perform miracles, and Jesus knew that Herod was a fox, a cunning and deceitful ruler. He also realized that all Herod wanted was to see a miracle, to be entertained by him. And when Jesus wouldn't perform for him, Herod tried to question him, but Jesus answered him nothing. And this, by the way, is the only time Jesus refused to say anything to someone. He knew nothing he would say would make a difference. So he kept quiet. You know, as they say, it is true that sometimes silence isn't golden, it's just plain yellow. But there are times when silence is the best option, and that was certainly the case when dealing with a fox. Herod couldn't get anywhere. And he didn't know what to do with Jesus. But the chief priests and scribes were standing there accusing him, calling for a sentence of death. Herod, however, apparently had second thoughts about killing him. He had been forced into beheading John, and he wouldn't be forced into condemning Jesus. So he responded by mocking Jesus. He resorted to mockery. 
like so many, who can't decide what to do with Jesus, he tried to dismiss him. He made light of him. He allowed and no doubt encouraged his soldiers to treat Jesus with contempt. They dressed him in a gorgeous, a bright and splendid robe and mocked him as king. Herod's judgment was to make light of Jesus, to mock him and to then send him back to Pilate. And Luke notes that Herod and Pilate became friends that very day, when before they'd been political enemies. They found themselves in the same boat. Their common experience bound them together. They had to deal with Jesus, but didn't know what to do with him. They were called upon to answer the questions Who is Jesus? And what do I do with him? They're not the only ones who have to face that question. We, too, are called upon to answer those questions. So what is our judgment to be on Jesus? The Sanhedrin declared him to be a fraud and a threat to their religious convictions and their sense of well-being. They saw him as a radical with disturbing ideas and sought to do away with him. Pilate saw him as a harmless Jew. and could find no wrong in him, but was afraid to act on his personal convictions. He decided to just roll with the flow of public opinion. And he tried to avoid taking an unpopular stand with regard to Jesus. Herod was simply looking for religious entertainment, a diversion from the realities of life. He didn't take Jesus seriously. And I'm afraid today many share the judgment of one of those three courts. Some want to do away with Jesus. He's just too dangerous to their way of life. Others yield to public opinion and try to avoid taking unpopular stands with regard to him. And many just play with Jesus. They don't take him seriously. Obviously, the only appropriate judgment to render on behalf of Jesus is to declare him to be king of kings and lord of lords. And to then bow in full surrender at his feet. So how do you judge the Son of God. That